Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 775 of the Juicebox podcast. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with Rita. She was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 57. She's 63 now, and she got her type 1 diabetes in a rather unique way. It was brought on by a therapy she was taking for her cancer. Her story is rather unique and incredibly interesting. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're enjoying the Juice Box podcast, please share it with someone else who you think might also enjoy it. It's the best thing you could do for the show. Share it. Help people listen. Help them find it in Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever they get audio. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 or is the caregiver of a type 1, please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and complete the survey. When you complete the survey, you're helping yourself, people living with type 1 diabetes, and the Juicebox podcast. t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. It is a great meter that is easy to carry, easy to use, and just lovely to be around. Have you ever had a device like that where you're just like, I like holding this thing? It works. That's how I feel about the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. It works, and I don't mind holding it. There you go. It's high praise for a blood glucose meter. Damn thing's accurate and easy to use. What else do you want? Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com. At an early riser or just don't get to work early? I don't usually work that early. Like, no, it's not crazy. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah. last night... I sent Arden a text at school at like 7.30 and I was like, hey, really stay on top of your blood sugar because I want to go to bed on time and, you know, like I'm, I'm working right. I'm working early tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I don't know what, yeah, the, right. I don't know what she ate at 10 <laughs> o'clock, you know what I mean? And I was like, uh. So then I'm texting her. I'm like, hey, you have to bowl us. And she's just not answering. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm, no. And I, so I look yeah. and I, I realized that I think she's asleep and mm -hmm. and her blood sugar is kind of going 160 170 and i'm like oh gosh so i remotely arden uses loop so i'm remotely yeah. i'm remotely like jacking up her basil and 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 setting lower targets and all the things that i can impact from from night scout right? from afar yeah mm -hmm. and i'm watching and i'm texting I'm like please just wake up just i just needed her to bowl like a half you know like please just bowl like please <laughs> So, so what time does that all end at? Oh, I go to bed at two thirty, and then oh, you know. So I'm like, that's oh, okay. okay. I'm, I'm going to get up at seven thirty. I'll let the dogs out and take a shower. Blah blah blah. And uh, at seven, like five of seven, I get a text, and it just wakes mm -hmm. me right up. And it's right. nonsensical from my mom. I'm like, mom, what are you saying? And she goes, oh, never. <laughs> she goes, never mind. This was a mistake. Go back to bed. Now I'm awake. 
Yeah, now you're not going to go back to sleep. So I slept four and a half hours. Oh, well. <laughs> and then I went downstairs and I was like, oh, the dogs look rested. That's nice. And I took them out and, you know. Yeah, you could nap after the call. Well, it's, <laughs> maybe it's possible. <laughs> there you go. Well, my son was like, uh, I need to get tires on my car. And I'm like, uh huh. He's like, I don't really know how to do that. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, gosh. He's like, I know. do you want to do that today? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll do that today. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, I'm sure I'll be fine. Or one day it'll just kill me. This is the day. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. 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 A parent job never ends, does it? Par- it's like. Apparently not. Apparently, Apparently not. <laughs> I, it's funny too. Right. Arden's biggest problem at school of all the things that we were. I'm sorry, Rita, we're recording just in case this ends up making oh, a okay. podcast. Um, of mm-hmm. all the things that I was ready for, the one thing I didn't consider is that the quality of the food at the college would not be mm. as maybe pure as it is yeah. at home. So yeah. that's where we're having problems. Yeah. It's interesting of all the right. things. It's it's like I guess eating out all the time, right? I mean, consider I think she's not having a home cooked meal and yeah. it's like she's eating out all the time. Yeah, she's yeah. you know, she's in their cafeteria and you know, yeah, picking and and you know, and it's it's buffet style, etc. So um anyway, it you know, is it gonna be hotter? Is she gonna have more activity? Will there be stress? All the things I thought I was ready for. And the one thing I didn't think about was what if the food cafeteria is, food? Yeah, what if the food is just <laughs> crappy? You know what I mean? So anyway. Right. Do you have any questions or concerns before we get going? No, I don't think so. I think I'm ready to go. Sound is good for you? Oh, sounds perfect. Wonderful. Absolutely okay. fine. That's great. So uh normally I would ask you to introduce yourself, but this is Rita. <laughs> there you go. This is I. Yeah. Yes, this is Rita. Uh, um how old are you? I am I am 63 years old, and I was diagnosed with type 1 at the age of 57. I live in Georgia, and I am a cancer patient, which uh, led to the type 1 diagnosis my treatment did. So I've got a story to tell, and um, it's quite rare, um, but I know there's a few of us out there that have um, gotten type 1 as a result of immunotherapy. So that's my that's a gist of my story. That's, yeah. yeah, that's something. Well, let's pick through it then. So, okay. um, do you have children? I have two children. They are uh, thirty-three and thirty-two. They are adopted. So, my husband and I adopted them uh, when they were just under three years old and just under one year old. They are siblings by mm-hmm. birth. And so, I adopted them. Uh, I traveled to Romania and. Um, back, you know, after the fall of the Ceausescu government. And I traveled there by myself and found these two wonderful kids. And they've been with me or with my husband and I ever since. Uh, they are, uh, our son is married. I have two grandkids and our daughter is on her own and they're doing lovely. Wow. They're great. Were they siblings in Romania or did were they two? They were. They were. No, they were, they were actually brother and sister, like biological brother and sister. So great for them to have each other. And um, yeah, so that's that's our family. Uh, my husband and I, we were never able to get pregnant. Um, but in the grand scheme, I think it didn't matter because I, I got these two wonderful kids. Wow, that's great. You knew how to do the sex and everything. It just didn't work out. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like exactly. He, he knew where everything, it just didn't work out. Yeah, he knew I where did everything. everything by the book. Oh, okay. Yeah, That's what I was wondering. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny as, yes. you, as you're introducing yourself and you tell me you're 63. I interviewed a woman. I interviewed a woman yesterday who was 62, and uh-huh. I, I asked if she had children, and she said four, I think. And the the last one, she said, "Well, is you know my foster child." And I said, "Oh, how did that happen?" And she tells yeah. a story about her daughter's friend whose family just fell apart. And her daughter came home one day and was like, we have to take her in. And, yeah. and that was like when they were, I don't know, 15 or 16. And now they're in their mid-30s. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. It's interesting yeah. to hear. Two- it, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it, yeah, it's wonderful. And it just shows the uh, how much a person you can love. Like, you just can just love. It doesn't have to be, I find, it doesn't have to be from me. I just, they're, they're just... Um, you know, two great kids and my grandchildren. I am so grateful. So my first grandson was um, born in August of 2015, and I was diagnosed with cancer in December of 2016. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the diagnosis was really, first of all, extremely unexpected. It is, um, so I don't know if I told you, I have... uh, been diagnosed with mucosal melanoma in the vagina. So basically, it is uh, a type of melanoma that grows in the mucous areas of the body. So vaginal, rectal, nasal, mm-hmm. uh, you can get it in the eye. And uh, anyway, those are the, the primary. So of all melanomas, 95% are cutaneous, 5% are mucosal. And of that five, I'm going to guess less than 2% are vaginal. So this diagnosis, uh, a lot of things sort of, when you hear my story, a lot of things sort of, I'm lucky and somebody uh, is looking out for me, whether that be my higher power or I don't know. It's just the way things have worked out. I've been very fortunate. I mean, really, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be here. The diagnosis, I was never um, told how long I had, but I, because I didn't ask. I didn't want to know. I had to focus on the positive, but um, it was not, uh, I don't know. I didn't get the impression from the doctors that this was very hopeful. So It wasn't very laissez-faire um, in the uh, in the room. They're like, no, we'll just work right through this. It'll be fine. It's all, well, I mean, in an orifice of any kind, I just have yeah. to think like that, that's craziness because, and I'm going to want to hear, okay, so hold on. I'm going to go backwards just for two seconds to tell you something um, about, about loving people and adoption just very quick i'm adopted as you probably know if you're listening to the show and my mom right my mom is 80 years old um and as mm-hmm. we as we record this we are one year mm-hmm. and one day past us learning that my mom had cancer and um oh wow yeah mm-hmm. she had uh a very very large tumor probably grapefruit size on an ovary she had mm-hmm. some, some cancer in her uterus, and she was given a full hysterectomy at 79 years old. And this came, I'd say, right as my youngest brother got married and as my mom was planning to move across the country to live more closely to my middle brother. So he had mm-hmm. he had moved to you know, college and, and never come mm-hmm. back. And she's like, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of my, you know, end of my life with with Brian. With him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of working towards all that. My brother's going to get married and then my mom's going to leave. And instead, we're carting my mom to my brother's wedding in a wheelchair and we're all standing off to the side 
talking to each other going, hey, mom looks like she's going to die. And it came out of kind of nowhere, you, you know. So we got her right off. Yeah. We got her right off to a doctor. And she had this procedure after we had to pick through a number of doctors who all were happy to just uh, manage her into the grave is the best way I could put it. You know, like nobody wanted mm-hmm. to give a 79 year old woman this big surgery and she's going to die and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And just luckily, my neighbor's son grew up to be a surgeon. And I contacted him and he said, oh, I went to medical school with a girl who's, you know, in oncology OB now. And a couple of text messages later, my mom had a surgery. And um, yeah. and just the other, it's been it's been about two weeks now, my mom had, it was time. She made it through. They gave her a clean bill of health and, you know, she's going to move to Wisconsin. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. How do you get her there? Because... She can't sit too long. She can't, you know, like mm. she needs to get to a bathroom. Like, so we're like, well, we can't just drive her. A plane seemed like it wasn't a great idea. We we had toyed with the idea of taking her um, in an RV because there'd be a bed and a bathroom with us. That uh, turned out to be very uh, cost prohibitive and, and a big and kind of a, a mess, you know, logistically. And so in the end, my mom and I ended up on an Amtrak train across the country together in this little bed and and you know we spent this day and a half making this trip and when we got there my brother was going to pick us up at union station and then i was literally just going to get back on a plane and fly home so my brother was a little late and my mom and i are just sort of standing there she's in a wheelchair and i'm you know i'm standing there and we're talking and it's this odd feeling that nothing's different we're going to like, you know what I mean? We're just talking the way we always yeah. have, right? And yet, yeah. in about 45 minutes, I don't think I'm ever going to see her again. Or if I do, yeah. it's going to be very, you know, sporadic at the best. And yeah. and the way she hugged me before we left, my whole I'm telling you this whole story to tell you that the way my mom and I hugged each other before she left... I would dare mm-hmm. you I would dare you to feel that and and think that she didn't love me the way she loved my brothers. And and I'm absolutely and I'm the only adopted one, you know. And yeah. and me yeah. me right back to her obviously. So Yeah. 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 I, I think it's really it's lovely. But anyway, I have yeah. I have so I have a tiny bit of context for what you're about to tell me that I didn't have a year ago. So I'm going to do my best to keep up. Um mm-hmm. can you just tell me when you first noticed the issue and what and how you noticed it? When you have diabetes and use insulin, low blood sugar can happen when you don't expect it. Gvoke Hypopen is a ready-to-use glucagon option that can treat very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. I just went to contournext.com forward slash juice box and noticed they've been a little sprucing up of my page. There's a chat box now. You can actually chat with somebody. Look at that. Chat with us. What do you want to talk about? Contour blood glucose meter. Thanks for that. Hi, thanks for the message. Please allow approximately five minutes for a team member to respond as we may be helping another person living with diabetes. Let's look at that. If you're busy, feel free to leave your name. Oh, okay. Well, that exists. Let me get out of this. 
You guys can check that out if you want. But honestly, you want to go to contournext.com forward slash juice box to learn about the Contour Next One blood glucose meter and to find out if it would be cheaper for you to buy the meter and the test strips in cash than you're paying right now through your pharmacy. Not crazy, like through your pharmacy benefit. And even if it's not, just get it through your insurance because it's a wonderful meter and it's got test strips that offer second chance testing. Understand what I'm saying by that? That's important. That means if you go in there and you hit the blood, but you don't quite hit it right or you don't get it all, you can go back and get more without ruining the accuracy of the test or ruining the blood test strip. Saving money and time and keeping your accuracy with the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Also at my link, a big orange button that says buy now. When you click on it, it takes you to places where you can buy the Contour Next One online. Walmart.com, Amazon, Walgreens, CVS, Kroger, Target, Rite It, and somebody wrote in and told me that I said the miser wrong. Hold on a second. Now, see what's happening now? Sorry. I said like measure or something like that. Give me a second. M-E-I-G-E-R. Here it is from Robin. Just a heads up. Meijer is pronounced Meyer, and it's a Michigan-based apartment store, groceries, clothing, and home goods, and a great pharmacy. Well, let me just tell you something. Meyer, M-E-I-G-E-R, isn't Meyer, but I'll go along with it. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Get an accurate blood glucose meter. You need it, and you deserve it. Links in the show notes of the links in the audio links in the show notes of the audio app you're listening in right now, and links at Juicebox Podcast. They can be found. Am I speaking backwards like Yoda? I might be. Anyway, links to the advertisers are in the show notes of your player and at juiceboxpodcast.com. When you go through my links, you are supporting the show, and I very much appreciate that. Let me get you back to Rita now because the bulk of her story is yet to come, and it's something else. It was September of, uh, or I should say August of 2016, and uh, I noticed, I go to the bathroom, and I wipe, and uh, I wouldn't even say there was blood, there was something very light pink when I cleaned it. I said, oh, that that doesn't look right, and given my age, I go, hmm, you know, I, I'm going to call my, my primary. I called my primary doctor, I go in to see her right away, and she says, well, I can't I can, as a primary, I can't do an examination down there, but I'm going to send you to a gynecologist. I had one, but mine had retired, so she put me through. They saw me right away. They uh, examined me, and they said, oh, it's probably vaginal dryness, and they gave me a cream, and they sent me home. And this is now the month of September, and I'm doing this vaginal cream. My husband and I uh, had a trip uh, planned with friends to go to Italy. I go to Italy. Um this bleeding has not stopped. It's like, it's always there and it goes away maybe for a day or two, it comes back. So we're, and it was supposed to, they said within 30 days should resolve itself. So now it's November and uh, they renew, I made, I gave a call to the doctor, they renew the prescription, but it's the month of November. And I'm saying, I don't know, I want him to see me again. And I go back in and that morning of that appointment, I wake up and I go take a shower 
there is so much blood and so much clotting and it was just gross. So I, uh, my husband was already off at work. I just get myself dressed and I go straight to my appointment, though I'm about three hours early. I didn't really care. I go, somebody will see me. And they did. And they did a biopsy and um, send me home. And they said, okay, maybe it was, you know, just some clots that were blocking it up. I don't know, whatever. I go home and I'm still thinking nothing of it. And then uh, they get the results. They call me. Now we're in December. And the uh, PA calls and she says, well, we've never seen this, but there's actually melanoma in your vagina. And we're running the pathology again because the pathologist has never seen it. But in the meantime, you've got an appointment with, you know, gynecological oncology and dermatology and all these doctors. So, okay, I still, I still didn't want to believe it was that it's like, how can I have melanoma there? I go, I've never heard of it. They've never heard of it. It's a mistake. So it's now December 18th. And I go to um, the gynecological oncology appointment and they take all the notes. They want to know the whole story. She examines me and my husband's in the room with me and she examines me and she says, Oh yes, I see it. You have um, a tumor in your vagina and obviously it's melanoma you know, given the pathology Mm -hmm. and I'm lying on the table, you know, and I'm, she's looking at me and, and I am saying nothing. And she goes, Rita, did you hear me? And I said, um, yeah, like, but I'm so confused. I'm looking at my husband and in my head, I'm thinking to myself, this is my, I'm living my worst nightmare. This is what I feared the most that one day I would get cancer. Are you kidding me? I have cancer. So at this point, she says, um, the location is really not good and there is um, nothing we can do. And I said, no, no, take it out. Take everything out. You know, I don't care. Just take it out. And there's got to be chemo. And they said, no, there isn't. But because for melanoma, there is no chemotherapy. And um, she says, but I will send you to the melanoma surgeon uh, specialist and to the melanoma cancer team. So this is Christmas now, we're at December 18th, so I get through the whole holiday, and I have my PET scan in, I don't know, it was early January or between Christmas and New Year, I don't remember. They do a PET scan to see exactly what they're dealing with, and and I see the surgeon, and sure enough, uh, yes, there is. it's not anywhere else, but it's there, and the surgeon tells me they would have to do a uh, complete hysterectomy. They're hoping the location of this tumor that they are not going to have to touch the bowel because if they do, I would get a, I would have to wear a colostomy bag mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other. And it's a big surge. I gather this is a really big surgery. They had also to remove part of my vagina and all that stuff. So it's a big surgery. And he says, uh, in the meantime, because of the size of this tumor, and I, I couldn't tell you how large it was, but maybe because of the size and the position uh, of the tumor, we're going to start you on um, some treatment, and that's great. I was willing to do that, and I go off. And while we're getting ready for uh, to schedule surgery, he says, in the meantime, do some treatment, and hopefully it'll shrink the tumor. So I see the, um, the gynecological, no, the um, my regular melanoma oncologist, and they have a plan and it's extensive and they're giving you so much information. And one of these is uh, a combination 
immunotherapy drug called Ipinevo. So I don't know if you know much about immunotherapy, but immunotherapy, unlike chemo that destroys everything and then rebuilds, immunotherapy actually revs up your immune system to wake it up to the fact that you've got cancer in your body and to attack it. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, I said, fine. And of course, they run through the list of side effects, which are many. And, and one of them, uh, I remember very well, was type 1 diabetes. But the chance of that was like less like 1% chance you would get it. So Yeah, well, Rita, what's the chance you get vagina cancer? Exactly, right? <laughs> so like I you will soon find out that I if there is a very small chance of getting it, I will get it. <laughs> um so anyway, I do this treatment, it was fine. I mean, I do the treatment, I handled it well. Um I'm like I'm like 2 weeks into it, like it's every 3 weeks I think. And I'm 2 weeks into um, I'm still working. All, all's, all's good. And then one morning I wake up and I go, oh, I don't feel good. I start coughing and uh, couldn't stop. I'm scheduled actually for another treatment. I go to the hospital uh, and I had called them, I think. And they said, you know, come in, we'll take a look at you and, and we'll see what's going on. And of course, what I had developed was pneumonitis, which is um, sort of difficult to breathe. And infl- I guess it's an inflammation of the lungs. I'm not sure. But um, so I cannot have treatment. So I'm put on steroids for 30 days. They stop treatment because they said, we don't have time to wait for your tumor to shrink. We're going to, um, take care of the pneumonitis because the way your lung capacity is right now, you're not going to make it through surgery. So we'll take care of the pneumonitis through steroids. Um, and then we'll go straight into surgery, which is exactly what happened. So I had surgery in March. And uh, he did not have to touch the bowel. He did the whole surgery. We're good. Um, but I knew I would have to have radiation just because of, um, I guess, the type of cancer it is and the way they explained it to me, though. He thinks he got it all. Um, there's always can be specks of the cancer, you know, sort of around. And, mm-hmm. and we're going to do a radiation in the area, which they did. And now I finished that in the end, uh, in the end of May. I have my PET scan in July, and they're telling me, they have told me that if all is well, then then that's it. We'll just follow up with scans every, I don't know, six months for a while or three months. And so I do a PET scan in July, which is, you know, the full body scan, and they found cancer in the lymph nodes in the groin and something in my lungs. So, okay, I have to start um, therapy, immunotherapy again. This time they're giving me another drug. Because that combo, my body doesn't tolerate it. Right. And they, they gave me one of the two drugs that were in that combo. It's called Opdivo. And I had that and I started that in August. And that went really well. I'm doing very good. In early December, I have um, my PET scan. It's showing things are sort of shrinking, but still there, but doing well. And it's December 21st of 2017, and I'm at the hospital for my infusion. And of course, every time you do the infusion, they do labs. And I'm um, sitting at the chair. They've got the IV going. They're just waiting on the labs before they start. And the nurse comes in, and she says, hey, are are you feeling okay today? I go, yeah, I feel great. She goes, oh, because your blood sugars are at 622. (laughs) I Hmm. go, what? And she says, 
I go, they're certainly wrong. And she goes, yeah, we're going to repeat the blood, the, the glucose. And they repeat it and comes back. She goes, no, now you're at 530. Doctor wants to see you right away. There's no infusion today. So I go up to the office and that's when they tell me, they said, I, we think you are, you have developed type one diabetes as a result of this. So off you go to, uh, to the emergency room to be admitted. Reader, before we get to that. Yeah. I'm trying to, I want to make sure I understand in the course of two years, you get diagnosed with an incredibly rare cancer inside of your vagina. They take it out and you're getting mm-hmm. treatments and then you develop cancers in other places. You get more treatments. And then mm-hmm. like two years after the initial diagnosis, you get the type one. Is that right? Uh, sorry. One year after one December year. of 2017. One yeah. Year. I'm sorry. Okay. I might've given the wrong. No, no, no. I'm one sure. year no, after. No, it was a lot of yeah. information. I, I might not have been keeping up. Yeah. So, okay. So yeah. That, that's kind of how mm-hmm. I wanted to go over it. Uh, you're in his office. You're looking for a window to jump out of, or where's your where's your mindset at the moment when he tells you? you well, I'm saying, well, sort. So part of it is, you know, cancer, the cancer is such a big thing mm-hmm. that everything else sort of takes a back seat because I go, it's okay, it's okay. Like, what is? I have no idea what type one diabetes is. I right. know people get diabetes. I I probably know what type two is because you're overweight and you're not extra, you know, like just the usual, what yeah. people think type one, I have no idea what is involved. And, and you're, you're actually living the phrase, at least it's not cancer because you know what that like, cause that's what everyone says. Yes. Anytime anyone gets mm. sick with anything and it's not cancer, like <laughs> at least it's not cancer. But then once, yeah. <laughs> once you have cancer, I guess yeah. the phrase is, <laughs> well, at least it's not cancer, but you have right. way, way, way more context yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so my my thought in my head is, well, at least the cancer's shrinking. I don't care if I've got type one. At least this seems to be working. Like I'm still here. Yeah, like yeah. I've still I've had another year of life. I've seen my grandson grow up a little bit. Like I'm good. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay. And so, so, um. Anyway, I I could tell that they were. I mean, my doctor was, my oncologist was, I'm so sorry this has happened. And I'm going, it's all right. It's okay. You know, send me to, um, she says, you know, well, well you go ahead. Cause we were waiting to be, I was waiting to be transported with the wheelchair to the emergency room and they weren't coming. And so she says, you know what you got, are you okay to walk? I go, yeah. Like I'm feeling totally fine. And I will say the only thing I had in retrospect was probably, um, uh, maybe a week before I was really thirsty and I did notice that. And again, I didn't, I didn't think anything of that. And, you know, my blood sugars up until that point were really good. Like I'd never had an issue. So anyway, my husband and I go walk over to the emergency room and I go, what do I tell him? She goes, uh, she goes, you tell them that your blood sugars are high. She goes, I think you've got type one. Uh, she says, but if she's giving you, if she's not understanding what you're saying, have them give me a call. This is the oncologist referring to the emergency yeah, room right, doctor. Right, right. So I get in there. Yeah. And they do my blood sugar. And of course I'm high and they're taking, doing the intake and the doctor is there and the emergency room nurse is there. And I just say to her, <laughs> I go, uh, she goes, you know, what brings you in? I go, I tell her the story. I go, you know what? I think I've developed type one diabetes. And she looks at me like, no, you just don't develop type one diabetes. She goes, no, I go, look, just call my doctor. And, and sure enough, that's exactly what it was, but it is immunotherapy. 
um, I mean, this was already four years ago already. It's come a long way. Uh, it was so new that even just your regular doctor, if you're not exposed to this, you're not even going to know what this is. Mm -hmm. Like this doesn't make any sense. So that day uh, I get admitted to the hospital. I, I am not in the ICU. I'm in the regular hospital and, you know, they start doing all the tests and, and I find out that my biggest fear was, do I have to uh, give myself insulin? Like, you've got to be able to give me a pill. I don't do needles. Like, that was me. I, got, I don't do needles. I don't want to learn how to give myself. Like, I'm very grossed out by that. I go, no. It's like, I'm sure there's something. I am still, I guess, sort of in denial. And and no, I mean, I was in there for two days. They they told, they told showed me, taught me how to inject insulin, and it wasn't too bad. They brought in on uh, I guess she's a the, the educator on you know mm -hmm. in the hospital and she's they're teaching me the formula like I don't even remember it now because I'm on a pump now but you know for this many carbs this much insulin and and looking back I was told I was told a number of things that were not right uh which of course I I knew nothing such as when you inject insulin, you need to be eating immediately. Like, do not be waiting around. Like, so no such thing as a pre-bolus. And, right. um, and anyway, so I do this and I learn and I'm, I'm doing, well, I don't know. I, I made it through. I, I was doing okay, but my sugars were, if I were to look back, I think anything, you know, around 220, I, I considered a victory, like, you know, I had no idea. Was that because I mean, was that because that you had seen a six hundred at the hospital and two hundred seemed much lower? Yeah, and I think they sent me home with something under two fifty. So if they sent me home, and then I remember this is how crazy I was, or and crazy only in retrospect. Like three days after this diagnosis, my husband and I we do Christmas with the kids, and then my husband and I fly off to Canada where the rest of our family is. I don't even know what I'm doing. I mean, I've got the formula, but at this point, I know my sugars are like really high. And I've I've put in a call to the oncologist, uh, not to the oncologist, but at this point, I have an endocrinologist. And I, I must say, she guided me through it. But and I don't know if it's because I was under enough control right now to sort of get through things. And we're going to deal with the nitty gritty of it soon enough you know just sort of like let her familiarize herself with carbs Rita, and you're, insulin you're and... such a lovely person here's what i imagine it's christmas yeah. and new year's we'll get to this lady after i've drank myself silly that's what i figured <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. she's she's fine yeah. she's not at you know 400 anymore she's good yeah. so we'll Let's send her talk home to her on january 5th shall we <laughs> yeah yeah, so I go back. Uh, so I think uh, my treatment was canceled. My next scheduled cancer treatment was was canceled because they said let your body kind of get used to what's happening right now, and uh, but we'll start it up again because damage is done. It's like you got what we feared, and so we can continue. And and they did. Um, but, um, yeah, so that's, uh, I was going to say something else, but I can't remember right now about that whole, that whole time period, but yeah, so that's it. So eventually, um, so yeah, so what happened is that the, so the immunotherapy drugs sort of, um, rev up your immune system mm -hmm. and it revved up, uh, it revved it up so much that it didn't recognize that the beta cells were 
were necessary. It considered the beta cells um, something foreign, I guess. And so it just basically killed them all. And And so that's what happened. And we'll never know if you had markers for diabetes. Like if you like, isn't it crazy to think that you might've lived your whole life with genetic uh, markers for type one that just wasn't happening. And it maybe never, never would have happened if somebody wouldn't have supercharged your immune system. Yeah, and yeah. maybe they were there, but my fa- in my family on either my parent either of my parents' side, nobody, nobody has any immuno. Uh, There's no autoimmune at all. An autoimmune, no, none, okay. none. And so, yeah, so it, uh, yeah, it, so it attacked the pancreas, and in fact, um, and you didn't have kids, so you can't so, test them. So, so I yeah, no exactly, yeah. and I know that when they did the C peptide a year late. Uh, when did they do the C peptide? Initially, I guess mm-hmm. I was at seven point zero, so I was in the range. But when they do it a year later in twenty nineteen, I'm at less than point one. Yeah. So I was I was doing well um, until until then, and then what happened is I got a whole bunch of autoimmune um, really uh, diseases. Yeah. So I developed. So in that period, I developed. Um, vitiligo. So I have, which is like, you know, where your yeah, skin yeah, loses yeah. pigmentation. So I have that in my hands and arms, my feet and legs. I develop colitis and, um, which has, uh, vitiligo is not a biggie. I mean, it's, I can live with that. Colitis, I'm on medic, I mean, colitis ends up playing a role later on, but, um, I'm on medication for the colitis, and at some point uh, at this time, I also lose um, production of saliva in my mouth, mucuses in my nose, tears in my eyes. So sort of no mucuses from neck on up, and that was extremely uh, difficult. That was that was a very difficult side effect because without saliva, it's difficult to talk extremely difficult to eat and swallow food mm-hmm. of course you've always got a stuffy nose and then the eyes uh it hurts to blink because there is no dry. Uh, it, no tears there that... ext- and, and then yeah i was gonna say and then when you cry because i'm so frustrated no tears come out and and that's <laughs> to frustrating cry with no tears <laughs> that's a that's traumatic in and of itself <laughs> I can't even cry. I'm saying to my husband, this is terrible. Is um, that an autoimmune disease? The the no tears, no mucus? So, yeah. So I they sent me to uh, – so that's another thing. Um, so I go to a lot of different specialists at this point because – so they I go to rheumatology. I see a rheumatologist and really – he told me, he goes, this drug is so new. These drugs are so new. We really don't have a track record with other patients. Mm-hmm. But he looked it up and he sort of, it is not Sjogren's because he does, you don't have any of the markers, I guess, or whatever. It's not Sjogren's, but it is like a Sjogren's. So I'm actually on a drug uh, right now. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's the drug that reestablished all my mucuses or if it's just time, mm-hmm. you know, just like, because once eventually I stopped this Optivo, it was just, it was too much for my body. We had to stop. And, uh, it, it wasn't because, um, you know, we, we stopped the infusions. So, yeah. Yeah. It was just, so about, I get all that. As you said that I thought, well, maybe can you induce Sjogren's disease? And then that's not, but that's not that. Um, no, it's not. Yeah. No. And I've asked again, 
you know, I asked the rheumatologist recently, I go, I just want to be clear. This is not sugar. He goes, it is not sugar. He goes, we don't, I don't even know that they have a name for this yet. That They just know this is happening. So I, I, have a, and, I have a number of questions. Can we, can we kind of like go backwards for a second here and, and pick through yeah. some things? So yeah. all the way back to the beginning, just because if I don't ask, I'm, I'm going to wonder for the rest of my life. How do they, how do they, Rita, I'm 51 and I feel like I know what the vagina is. You know what I mean? Like anatomically, but like, did they take parts away? Do you still, do you, did you still urinate that way? Um, Yes. Yeah. Can you have sex? No. No. Okay. Um, Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. All right. How's, how is, uh, what's that like? Because I think people would, I think it's possible that younger people hear 63 and they're like, oh, you don't have sex when you're 63, but sure you do. And so, like, how do you adjust with that? Or is sex the last thing on your mind while you're going through all these things? It is the last thing on your mind. Okay. It really is because, um, you know, it's, I guess when you're faced with, Living or dying, it is really, for me, at least for me, Mm -hmm. it is like the last thing on my mind. And so I've had, uh, up until now, like a wonderful, like a wonderful, you know, it is what it is Mm -hmm. and you just sort of make it work. And, but it's, for me, it's okay because I still, there's so many moments, life is made up of so many, so many moments that, um, all those moments make it worth it, you know? Yeah. No. And I, so a yeah. part isn't there, but that's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is hard to, it is hard to uh, wrap your brain around it. And it's not a decision that um, everybody would make, you know, I, I understand that. No, no, I, I, I would trust me. You could, if I thought it was going to save mm-hmm. my life, I think you could pretty much take anything from me. So that, that makes sense to me. Is it visible like what? No. Like from the outside, no. you can't tell what happened. Never. Okay. Oh, no. And if you were to meet me in the street and there are people that I see, nobody would ever know. So my cancer is stage four. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. Uh, so this ta- this cancer is not even staged. Um, it's not staged because typically by the time uh, you find it, the doctors find it, it's really a stage four. So they don't even bother. Yeah. Like the doctors uh, had told me, a while back, like I was never under the illusion that, hey, we're going to do all this and it'll go away and it'll never come back. That was never the way it was presented to me. It was always, uh, this is, we're going to consider this to be a chronic disease and there'll be periods of time where you're, you're fine, you're clear and all we're doing are scans. And then there's periods of time where uh, we will find something and you're, you're back in treatment. And uh, it's like my first, uh, well, not my first, my surgeon had told me, uh, early on when we, before he did the surgery, he said at that time, so this is 20, I spoke to him, let's say 2017 is when I'm having the surgery. And he said, there's really like, not a lot. There's a lot, of, a lot of research in the pipeline for this cancer, because that's not where the funding is. That's not where mm-hmm. a lot of the focus is, is going on. He goes, but there's a lot coming up in the next five years. And it's, it's, he didn't say it's unfortunate you got it now, but sort of like, but here we are now. And so we got to work with what we have. So my, my uh, philosophy right now, if you will, or my way of getting through it is that 
science has to stay one step ahead of me. As long as my cancer doesn't progress so far that they have nothing left to give me, I'm good. Like, I'm fine. I'm willing to try. And in fact, um, you'll hear that I've, you know, I'm on other stuff right now. So, so that's, you know, that's how I look at it. And, um, and Rini, you know, not been, to get too. Mm-hmm. Before I, you've been living like that for about five years now. In this, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you, you have cancer. It is. Yes. And they are beating it back with the, the therapies. That with, tech, with the therapies, some brand new ones and some that I have yet to try that are just in the pipeline right now that are coming. Hmm. Some that are. I have, I'm not there yet, but some that I know, some promising ones that are waiting FDA approval, which should be coming within the next, uh, I think, less than a year. So I'm just trying to keep, I give it all I've got yeah. to sort of make that science, um, uh, you know, stay ahead of me. And that's how I look at it. Okay. But uh, yeah, so when you look at me, you would never know I'm sick. Now, I have lost um, initially from the, the start of this. I. I probably lost about, not probably, I have lost roughly 40 pounds. A lot of that loss came after the diabetes diagnosis. So I'm not sure if if it's that. I am not sure. Like what diabetes um, forced me to do was really, and cancer, was really change, well, diabetes changed the way I eat in terms of not so much uh, what I eat, because I was a pretty good eater, how much, but how much I eat. Um, you know, well, diabetes has forced me to be a, a, a healthier person, believe yeah. it or not. I well, think. No, I, I, I know that, but like a, a portion, you mean like you just smaller portions? Yeah. It's not, you know, yeah. at the beginning you should have seen me. And even now I just still do it. My husband goes, Oh, come on now. I mean, I weigh everything. I weigh my food and I'm like, <laughs> I'm a little OCD that way. So I weigh, I carb count. I, you know, I do all this, all this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that's i i have to it's the one way i can control you know and uh anyway no. as much as you can i can control the diabetes or do but you, i think i'm doing a good job now i'm i'm certain you are uh what what um do you see a therapist once the cancer comes uh, so i um so when the cancer came uh there was a support group at the hospital for melanoma uh, patients and i did that and then COVID stopped that. So I do. So in the middle of all of this, I find. Uh, so between I was I was home for a year following that surgery because I had surgery and then treatment. And, you know, it's just it takes a lot out of you. And I was home and I decided I was going to do I wanted to do some yoga. So I found a cancer center that had a lot of um, sort of uh, whole, a holistic approach in terms of um yoga and exercise and there's therapy there and I do and it's all through zoom now the yoga I don't do as much because I do work now but um I do I I do uh zoom uh cancer support I really you really need it uh I I, I'll speak for myself I really need it I am very um I'm very open about what's happened to me if somebody were to ask I would I would certainly tell the story I think there's a story to tell but um but I think therapy has helped me help mm-hmm. me with that. How about and like I said, if if you were to look at me, you'd never know I was sick. I know, I know who you are. I I've seen pictures of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, you smoke the weed now. 
Does that help with no? Uh, no? Have you, not, not necessary. No, not necessary. You don't have I'm a- not. Th- I haven't been there. No, no. And you know, through all the treatments that I've had, and it's funny how the mind or the body kind of like forgets. Like when I think back, I was like, yeah, I was, I was pretty sick. You know, I was sick, and I look at pictures of myself, and I go, oh yeah, I can tell. Like at the time, I, I couldn't tell I was sick, but. Now, looking back and seeing the way I am now, I go, yeah, I could tell I was sick. And I was one at one point, I'm in the hospital for some probably DKA, but uh, I'm in the hospital and I look in the mirror and I go, oh, my goodness, look at the way I look. So I've had those moments. Um, but yeah. yeah, what was your question? I, just, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know if um, it, like, I, I, yeah, so not necessary. Yeah. Like no, not, not nausea really no. or anything like that. No. Okay. No, no, no. Wow. Um can I ask just getting away from all this for half a second, looking more at the kind of, I don't know, the psychological side of it, I guess. Um, have, has your, has your outlook on what life is changed and, and what your date, what your days mean and what your time means, like that kind of thing. Definitely. How? Uh, so it, it's changed. First of all, uh, so I've started meditating. I do that, but uh, I'm actually more, I'm really grateful. It's like, I am so grateful for my husband. Cause like without this, like I am, I know I'm lucky. Like I really, despite it all, I am lucky. He has been with me for the whole thing. Cause there are time when you're dealing with all of this, it's just a lot for the brain mm. to absorb. And even now, I mean, I, I might look like, or I might feel like I'm good, but um, you know, when you, you go to those appointments, it's always like anxiety provoking. When I have a scan, it's anxiety provoking, all yeah, those things. Yeah. And so I'm grateful for that. I am so grateful for like my, to see my kids like five years out and okay, this is what they're doing. And now I have a brand new grandson. So I get to see him and I look at the day. Yeah. And I just say, oh gosh, it's such a beautiful day. I do so much. Um, I do a lot of walking and I started that early. I started that actually before, um, before cancer and diabetes, but I do a lot of it now. I have some extremely great friends that are there for me. And um, yeah, so I'm so grateful to everything, you know? So yes, definitely. How about about things that just eat time? Like I'll make a very simple like example. Like, do you still watch television or did you prior? Or is that one of those things where you think this doesn't matter anymore? Like I'm not trying to kill time anymore. No, I'm not trying to kill time. I'm not a big TV watcher, so I don't watch a lot, but I do read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. I love that. I um, So prior to the cancer diagnosis, my husband and I did a lot of traveling, and mm-hmm. we've done a few trips with um, where we do walking vacations. So we walk through Spain. We walk through Portugal. We've done a, a lot of that. And, of course, cancer uh, through a monkey wrench in that because for a long time, I was not, this is even before COVID, I was not allowed to travel. The doctors didn't want me too far from a good hospital, a hospital that would know what I've got, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and then of course COVID hits, uh, but just pro and then, and then diabetes and diabetes was, um, I've had some scary moments with it and it was like, it, it's scary, but in, I think it was in October of 2019. So before, um, before COVID, I did, we did do a trip out to the out west, to the Grand Canyon and the Four Corners area, and I hiked. And so that was scary because, okay, I'm going to be somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I got my pump. At this point, I got my pump and my CGM. 
but it's like, you know, in the back of my mind, oh man, what's, what am I going to do? Like, okay, I got to bring all the snacks. I got to bring all the glucose tabs. And all those are really like heavy on, on my mind, you yeah. know? And even now, like this evening, we're actually traveling and we're going to, to Vermont and I'm in, I'm in Georgia right now, but we're going to Vermont and okay, I got to bring all my supplies and that's all, um, don't forget anything, you yeah. know, I'm, I mean, getting through security, it's like, all, it all works out, but that doesn't mean I don't stress about don't it. Stress that about. Um, has there yeah. ever been any conversation with you or your doctors about some of the things earlier in your life in this? Like, for instance, not being able to have kids, is, that, is there a possibility that there was something wrong in there the whole time and you didn't know? Or is Who that knows? Just, yeah, there's no way yeah. to know about stuff like that, right? There's no way to know. I mean, I... I know they did some some testing, like genetic testing, but even what I have and what I understand, and I'm not going to pretend I even understand what the doctor said, but mine doesn't really have anything. They have no idea. So when I asked the surgeon, he says, who knows, like maybe the environment, like we don't even know enough yeah, about this Yeah, there's not even cancer. enough people that have it that you could get no. like, a, like, a, no. like some data from people like, oh, there's, you know, a certain percentage of them that have had similar other issues. And yeah, there's not even... There's not even that. No, there is a Facebook group that I belong to that is dedicated to mucosal melanoma patients. And so it's the variety of us. It's vaginal, rectal, sinus, but um, there's not a lot of us. And uh, and it's it, I, I don't know that anybody has found out the reason uh, why this has happened. I know there is a registry. I've heard, learned through the group. There is a registry forming right now on rare cancers with the hope that we will have some of the answers and just getting back to my diabetes. You know, I follow a lot of, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm always like sort of looking. That's how I found actually my husband found your podcast to kind of help me along. Mm -hmm. But um, I belong to, I guess it's type one, I don't know, type one something. And one day they send uh, sort of like a little newsletter and in it was, they were starting to do research in UCSF uh, regarding, they've discovered that people on immunotherapy, very few get diabetes. And uh, I just reached out to that. I had a name of a person who they interviewed and I reached out to her and they, they're just starting. And this was probably maybe three, four years ago that I reached out mm -hmm. and they sent me um, like a kit, like a um, labs to get done. And I just sent my labs off to them. I, I'll never know what they find. I don't think they're using it for research purposes, but my doctor, my oncologist has said what they're trying to do is, uh, you know, the patients that do develop type one is trying to find out, is there something, is there a commonality in it? Or is there something that we could give these patients? Is there a drug out there or do we need to develop a drug that if we give it to them prior to immunotherapy, it will save the beta cells? Mm -hmm. I think this is what they're working on, but I don't, you yeah. know, I Google it every once in a while to see if there's any progress made. But I mean, in my case, it's, it's too late, yeah. I think. Um, but you know, that's okay. Yeah. Well, but maybe it helps somebody in the future because the therapy, absolutely, because the therapy's growing and it's and it's morphing and getting better. And they're trying to, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, look what it's doing for you. It's, I mean, yes, really, exactly. it's, it's put the cancer in like stasis, right? So you're not getting worse and you're not dying. It's just, it's amazing, honestly. Yeah, it, it truly is amazing. Yeah, it yeah. makes me embarrassed for the notes I've written in front of myself because at one point I was jotting things down, Georgia, <laughs> not able to have children. And I and I 
at my shorthand for vagina, I made an oval and then I drew a line from, tw- <laughs> from 12 to 6 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, was like, I, I drew it and I was like, that's the, I, that doesn't look like a vagina at all. But I knew at least what I was doing when I was going. It's just such a crazy, it's a crazy story. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. So um, l- let me ask you, when you got the type 1 diagnosis, do they give you, like, you get to the endocrinologist, the holidays over, et cetera. You're back from Canada, if I'm, if I'm listening and remembering mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah. You get a pump, you get pens, you get needles, you get a glucose No, monitor. I get the needle. I get a needle. And and I don't know if this is typical of other type ones. I have no idea. But my blood sugar, oh, my goodness, so unstable. It was like, you know, I think I was pr- uh, – uh, pricking my finger like about 10 times a day. And even that I was, and I don't know if it was me just being worried, but I was forever. It was, and my blood sugars were like kind of all over the place. So then we are in, um, I don't know. It was in April. Okay. Now hold on. What year am I at? I'm at, um, I think it's 29, 2018 or 2019, but, um, I'll find out in a second, but, uh, I say to the doctor, hey, I, I at least want a CGM. I've gotten used to giving myself needles. Can I just get that thing in my arm, which tells me where I'm at? And she goes, well, if you're going to have that, I want you to have a pump. So they um, they give me the uh, the pump and I, I get a pump. I don't I don't even know there's choices out there. So right. I get a, I get the Medtronic pump with the CGM. And I said, great. So they start me on the pump. And again. And thinking back and telling you the story, another crazy thing that we did is I get the pump on a Thursday and I meet the pump trainer and she sets me up and shows me how to do it. And we're all good. And the next day we're heading to a wedding three and a half hours away. And I thought nothing of just leaving because like, okay, I'll have my pump. It'll be great. And I'll go. So we're driving and my sugars are going up and up and up and I'm just pumping more insulin. And I, I really don't understand what I'm doing. Like I I have an idea, but I go, this is not working and I'm not, I'm eating and my sugars are like in the three hundreds. And I go, why isn't this supposed to be better? And I do call the endocrinologist on call at the hospital. I'm like three and a half hours away. Watch your sugars, you know, um, uh, increase your basal, like blah, 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 you know, whatever, whatever she told me. I'm doing all this. Well, by the Saturday morning, I I was so sick. I mean, literally, I'm on the floor. And um, I said, I have to get to a hospital. I go, I don't feel right. This isn't good. And I am not going. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but we were in Knoxville and nothing against Knoxville. But I want to go to my own hospital because I'm still thinking of the cancer. And I just want to be where people know my case and I don't want to have to explain all this because this is you know mm-hmm. rare and so we make the three and a half hour three hour trip to back to I'm in Atlanta back to Atlanta and um you're in DKA in DKA yeah, I don't yeah. know it so I get to the hospital and um they're waiting for me you know we had made the call go straight do not go home do not do anything straight to the hospital they take my sugars I'm in DKA and I end up in the ICU. But, you know, in the emergency room, they take off my infusion set and my cannula was bent. So bent cannula. I wasn't getting any of the of the insulin I was pumping in. That easy. Yeah. 
and you wouldn't, oh, and you wouldn't and, know to look because yeah. you're too you're too early into it. I am. Yes, I yeah. don't know. I don't know what you know, what what uh, what what I was doing really. I really right. shouldn't have gone on the trip, or I, at least I should not have started the pump when I wasn't going to be home. And so I'm in DKA, and at that point, the endocrinologist says, "Oh no, we're and I don't have a. I don't think I had the CGM then." And he says, no, we're the CGM is like, I don't care about because they were saying, you know, do six weeks with the pump to get you used to it. And then we'll bring we'll introduce the CGM and they go, never mind all that CGM for you right now. And I did that. And and that certainly helped me a lot. I did have another episode of DKA in. um, So this was I, I looked at my notes. This has happened in May of 2018. So six months after diagnosis, I got the pump. And then in November of 2019, I did end up with DKA again. I really don't know how that happened uh, because I was really, my sugars were not terribly high. And I'm going to call it in the, maybe, in, I mean, high in the 250s, but not enough for me to, and then all of a sudden, I just didn't feel good. Mm. And once again, it was DKA. And that was the last the last time I was in the hospital for diabetes. Do you but, have, um, so do you have a firmer grasp? You do now. Like your husband found the podcast. Yes. That's so this is so here's a funny story. Yeah. And uh, so it's uh, yeah. So he's a big podcaster. And, you know, I don't even know what I'm doing. I go to a nutritionist who was a, no help at all, because when I tell my endocrinologist what she's asked me to do, the nutritionist in terms of what I eat and donate, she goes, oh, no, she goes. She's treating you like a type two. Forget that. That's not that's not what you're supposed to be doing. She played with the settings a little bit. But anyway, he finds your podcast and I listen to it. And then it is uh, I see that you guys, you and the whole bunch of diabetic specialists, if you will, are coming to Atlanta at a JDRF um, event. And that's February of 2020, just oh before gosh. COVID were hit. You, were you there? I was there, but this is what happened. My husband goes and see you because, again, he never leaves. You know, he's so in this with me. He listens to you, and I go listen to Jenny. Yeah, Jenny and I spoke at the same time at the first first hour. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you were. Yeah, unfortunately, you were talking at the same time. And we get in there, and that was actually um, very enlightening because we get in there, and it's full of people. And all these young, I mean, these young kids. And uh, it was funny because we go to lunch and my husband goes, see these people? They're eating everything. Nobody's weighing their food. <laughs> Nobody's doing anything. You need you need to be like them, Rita, not this like weighing and watching it. And uh, so, yeah, I, we learned a lot on that trip. And in fact, if I can say, I, had, I did uh, hire Jenny and Jenny has helped me tremendously. Yeah through uh managing all of this i mean she's sort of you know i go to the doctor now and they don't even oh look at these numbers that you're doing great keep it up Mm -hmm. (laughs) they don't just they don't adjust anything Uh, jenny and i don't talk about it of course because she's a professional healthcare provider but i'm aware that a lot of people that listen to the podcast see jenny yeah and so um it's it's wonderful that you uh did did you see yeah so did you see jenny and i speak together in the second hour or no, did you, did you go to something? Oh, where was the... I? I might I might have gone to something else. Oh. 
Rita, that I did was not your, see that was your speak. mistake. We were delightful. That was the mistake. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the one thing I've done wrong. Yeah, exactly. really. If you've if you've made any mistake, really, it was not seeing Jenny and I speak together. Uh, but that thing that that event was so helpful, like in so many ways. Like really, it it helpful to hear you know the speakers speak. Helpful to see the people. Helpful to see parents and you know vendors. Like just everybody. I thought that was that was a pivotal point for me. I I really believe that. Yeah, um, the person who ran that event did a wonderful job, and I don't know if they're, I mean, it's the JDRF, I don't even know if they're doing this stuff in person anymore at some of these places, to be honest, but God, I think it was Kim, right? And Could have been. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look. I don't think they've had one in Atlanta because I I would have no it, it's, I would have it's seen a, it. I'm not yeah. going to use her last name because it's I don't know it's not my business to say. But Kim was terrific and she set up an amazing event. And then we all bugged mm-hmm. the hell out of there because the world was coming to an end. Yes, yeah. exactly. After like two weeks later, it all sort of fell apart. Yeah, you know, the, the flight I took home from Atlanta was weird, like Walking Dead empty, and like so much so that it it, it was clear things were happening. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, this is it. I guess people are serious about this COVID thing. And uh, <laughs> I had yeah. three seats to myself. My, my feet, I, I like, I, I flew home like laying across three seats because there was just wow. no, no one on the plane. Nobody there. And But I never, I didn't meet you at that event or your husband? You did not meet me. No, you didn't meet me. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure that he went up to you. Like, at, of course, at this point, we're just, I probably started listening to your podcast in mid, eh, maybe, maybe fall of 2019. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So no, I didn't. I didn't meet you then. But uh, uh, Rita, yeah. I so anyway, love, I want the real story. You didn't. You were like, uh, the guy's. He's okay, but this Jenny's. Fantastic. He's okay. You take the guy. Yeah. I'm gonna go. To you take the guy. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go check <laughs> yeah, on Jenny because you tried a nutritionist yeah. and didn't get good help. But Jenny's, uh, yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's totally different. So yeah, that's yeah, great. So, uh, that's wonderful. Anyway, uh, I it's I I I'm sorry they don't do those things anymore. But uh, yeah, and the JDRF seemed to. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. They changed. They changed direction during COVID. It seems like to me. A yeah. lot about the in-person stuff at, ver- at the very least. So, okay. So you're, so now you're using a pump. What do you, that, that is an algorithm too? Are you using control IQ or Omnipod five or something like that? Or are you still managing? No, it no. Manually? So it's all, I'm all on Medtronic. I actually uh, don't do auto, you know, they have the auto mode where mm-hmm. it sort of does it for you. I don't do that. Uh, I do manual mode and I prefer that. I like to have, uh, I like to control it myself and sort of, are you uh, using, figure out. I'm sorry. Are you using CGM from Medtronic? I am. You are. Yeah. And, how, and how I'm on the. It? Yeah. And I'm on the newest pump, the seven. I just got the 770, mm-hmm. and I'm doing well. I find their CGM quite accurate, actually, compared to the 670. Great. And um, yeah, and I'm doing well. And I've, you know, I've got my rates sort of dialed in. I think. Um, so I'm probably. Uh, I'm a, probably about 93 percent in range. And my my A1C back in April was six point two, so I could bring it a little a little lower, mm-hmm. but uh, You're happy that's where that. I am right now. Yeah. I'm happy. I mean, compared to where I started, yeah, I'm 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 not I'm never rarely am I low. Like I think I'm less than one percent low. Um, 
And um, yeah, so Rita, that's I think, it. I think you're about to be famous at Medtronic because right now I imagine someone's running around the office going, someone finally said something positive about our CGM on that <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, and, and, you know, I just got the new one and part of it is like, okay, I had an option, I, I suppose, but, you know, ugh, I don't feel like starting over again and dealing with insurance and get it. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. never mind. It's just too hard. And it, it hasn't been, uh, it's been fine for me. So I just said, I'm just going to keep, keep doing what I'm doing. Rita, and, that's, and the I'm exact, that's the exact attitude that helps me stay married. Because Kelly's probably just like, uh, I don't want to go through it all. You know? Yeah, right. So much trouble. It's okay. So much trouble to get the sofa out of here. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of that. It's I'll like, just, who needs that? Yeah, right. I'll, just, I'll just stay with them, I guess. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I, we're up on an hour, but I'm not rushing you away. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I guess the only other thing I'd like to talk about that um, uh, people don't, maybe doctors don't understand is how difficult it is for a type one diabetic to get a PET scan. I find it probably one of the most stressful things uh, that, that happens. And I don't think enough uh, doctors understand uh, what is involved. So when I have a a PET scan the night before, okay, I I watch what I, I mean, I, I don't watch what I eat, but I tend to eat a little, you know, careful because I want my blood sugar to stay in range because for the PET scan, I am not allowed to bolus or eat anything. I think it's six hours ahead of the, of the scan. So I do do the scan first thing in the morning. I usually, you know, we schedule it then, mm-hmm. but, and it isn't so much that I go high because I'm not, cause with the high, I can, I can play with the basil, but it's when I go low. And yes, I can play with the basil when I go low, but I cannot take a glucose tab. I cannot eat anything. I can't. So I have to keep it uh, within a certain range without really the aid of any insulin. I do have basil going into the last till an hour before, but it, I find that is extremely stressful. I've gotten better at it because I now I've had many PET scans, but I think it's something that is not understood. And in fact, when I first, uh, I didn't even have the pump, but I was having a PET scan that day and it was at the wrong time of day. And, you know, I think they scheduled it for the afternoon, which is terrible. And uh, my sugars are climbing and I call the endo's office to see what am I supposed to do? And they said, oh, just give yourself, um, go ahead, bolus. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. So I get to the PET scan and the detective technologist says to me, you didn't give yourself any insulin, did you? And I go, yeah, actually, I just did to bring down my sugars. They go, oh, you're not allowed, no PET scan. I go, what? And I think the trauma of that visit, I mean, I started to cry. They they called the radiation oncologist in to talk to me because I said, it doesn't matter. I'll just wait here till the bolus sleeves and then you're going to do the PET scan. And they go, no, we can't. So they brought in the radiation oncologist who finally explained to me that I was going to be scheduled the next morning. They couldn't do it because they'd get a false reading on the test. But I thought, like, as a patient who I'm about to find out, this test is going to tell me if my cancer, if my my treatment is working mm-hmm. or not working, if my cancer has spread or not. And for, you know, doctors to not know, that's, I thought that was so basic so wouldn't you saying, know that i would think yeah so you're saying that they just tell you 
look, come in tomorrow. This, this happens to a lot of people. Like there are a lot of tests. Like there's even fasting blood work where they say to you, like you can't eat after midnight. And then that's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Well, what if I get low and I need to eat or what if, you know, but you can't even bolus like, so you can get a basal insulin, but you can't put a bolus in. Uh, That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So I'm trying to figure out why that is. Well, I guess uh, what I'm thinking is the basal sort of mimics your pancreas, right? Sort of slow and steady. Mm -hmm. And that's okay till about an hour before. And then they have me turn off my pump and I, you know, I remove everything from me. But um, yeah. And, And so I think it's, Yes, exactly. It is like extremely stressful. And, and it's in the way they say uh, it to you, like it's nothing. Like just don't eat or drink until you come. Yeah, in. it's yeah, like it's right. it's no problem. And you know, and the other thing that that really gets me is, you know, I have all of my, you know, I got the pump and I got the CGM. And it's always a production uh because I, I can't go in with them. Like I can't go in with this equipment. It says so in the literature. And I, I'm guessing it's the same thing for all the other companies. You can't take these devices into MRIs and and PET scans and stuff. Mm -hmm. And inevitably, every single time, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. And I go, no, the literature, and I'm a rule follower. And the literature says you can't take it in. And if it says you can't take it in, I'm not going to take it in. And I can't put it anywhere. So, you know, I give it to my husband who then leaves the area and and we're all good. And it's only when I say, well, okay, I'll bring it in. But if it breaks, you guys are paying for it. And then they go, oh, no, no, you please do what you want to do. It's like, <laughs> I have to, so it's, well, we just had yeah. this for Arden, right? Where she had to do, have a fasting test in the morning. And we're in the office the day before. And the woman's like, you know, the nurse, she says, uh, you know, no eating or drinking after midnight. And um, I said, well, can you tell me what if her blood sugar starts to fall? You know, are we, able to stop that or do we have to call the test off and she goes no you can give her insulin and i went yeah that's not how that works so i'm like um i said Mm -hmm. i said i think i can do a pretty good job of keeping her blood sugar stable i said but if she gets Mm -hmm. too low she might have to drink some juice would that be okay Mm -hmm. well yeah you're not supposed to i was like so if we do do we call and cancel and she just right doesn't have an answer I'll go talk no. to the doctor. She comes back out and comes back in. And then you get a blanket, like don't eat or drink. And if it happens, you you know, you can cancel. But I don't even yeah. think they know if that's like Arden was just having a, again, I don't know, endoscopy. Like they were just going down her throat. Like what a little bit of, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, could she have sucked on a lollipop? Like, like and nobody, right. underst- but you're talking to somebody who told you to take insulin if your blood sugar gets low. So you're like, well, are they really going to have an answer for me? No, it just seems like the answer is no. And, and, but it's yeah. said to you so blase, like, Oh, just don't eat or drink after midnight. And immediately you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that or not. And then you have right. and the, other stuff on top of it. Like the, the yeah. anxiety of like, nobody gives a crap if they don't get a blood test tomorrow, but you're trying to find out if you're, you know, right. Yeah. Your life. And I, th- and I think the other thing that they're, you know, because the, the, they'll ask, and do you have di? They don't say type one or two. Do you have diabetes? Oh yeah, then don't do this. Don't take your pills. Don't do. No, but I'm not on that. I'm on insulin. Do I take insulin? And they sort of like, uh, yeah, they don't. You know, like not really. Ha- so I don't even think. You know, it's just like uh, they're just reading a script, and it's just diabetes. And to them, it doesn't really matter which one it is. So a type two can go without eating for for six hours and not worry about blood sugars, I guess. And of course, you know, for, for type ones, it's the battle is a, the challenge is a little, a little tougher. So anyway, so that's the one thing I, 
I'd love to like, oh, I wish. And I'm not even sure, uh, you know, where you begin. I, I mean, is it, is it, uh, the, the, you know, like the, they're so disconnected, right? The radiology department with maybe endocrinology. Uh, like, you know, really, you sort of got to know, like, if you're sending a patient or if a patient calls you and said, hey, I'm going to have a scan. Can I not, you know, can I do this or not do that? That they would sort of have a, a, a real answer, not sort of like somebody that really doesn't know. And really, it's no difference to her if I get a scan or not, if it's canceled or not. You know, yeah. what does she care? Yeah, no, I know. It becomes it, my problem. It, so it, that's that's a, that's a biggest challenge. That's a very big challenge. You know, I so my mom is now with my brother, right? And my bro- mm-hmm. my brother is handling a lot of my mom's medical stuff for the first time. And I, I think he's finding it overwhelming. And I said, can I give you a piece of advice about talking to doctor's offices? And he's like, sure. I said, um, you have to find a very polite way to do this. And he goes, okay. I said, but you're telling them what to do. You're not asking mm. And, she, mm-hmm. and, and I said, there's a way they do things. And that might work for most people. And I said, but mm-hmm. but if you're not getting the answers to the questions you need, or if they're not doing something that they need to do, there's a way to say what you need without being demanding. And you almost are, I, I really do feel badly saying this out loud, but you're kind of directing them without letting them know you're directing them. Right. And and, and, right. and it's important because they can't know all of your details. Right. right. And 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 there's no way for them to know. And oftentimes you're talking to people who have answered ads for jobs who are schedulers or answering phone calls or they you know, sometimes mm-hmm. they're not even nurses and you know, they don't really know. And you're asking them these big questions because they're your point of contact, but they don't have an answer. And then you know, sometimes they just say the first thing that comes to mind or what they hear other people saying or what worked for somebody else. And you can't get frustrated with them. You sort of have to say, this is what we need. I need you to call this person. I need you to fax this document. You can't just say, I want you to set this up for me because they might not know what that means to you. Right. You know, and he's having a better time of it now that he's been more, I guess, proactive. Um, Yeah. And the, Yeah. And the same thing I find when I was in the hospital, um, you know, and I'm with my, my CGM and pop out. So I think, um, I think in, in some of those visits, the pump came off obviously because of my, my bent cannula. And so they had to bring my sugars back down and did it through an IV and all that. But, um, you know, I really try to, to keep, uh, to get back on everything like really quickly, you know, and I try to be like, inevitably when a few times I went in, they're take they're taking my I have no CGM on my arm and they're taking my blood sugars and it is what it is it does you know whatever they take it and I go okay and you're coming back in like a couple hours to do it again right oh no you're scheduled again to do your um, to do your your you know we're, we're going to check your blood like at, at six in the morning let's say and I go no no I can't go for six hours without you know without it checking so I've learned that you know I've been in the hospital a few times now that you know. Before my before my husband leaves the room, I said, "Bring me my CGM. Bring me my, not my CGM, but my glucose monitor right in front of me." Because during the night, I'm going to check my own sugar. Right. And sure enough, sure enough, one night, I go, you know, I opened, I was sleeping, I opened my eyes, I go, I just don't feel right, and I check my sugars, and they're at forty. Mm-hmm. So I ring the bell, and they all come running, and I said to them. I told you guys, don't let me go for six hours yeah. without, I, you know, so. 
so in all this to say, you sort of have to be your own advocate. And I guess, I guess that is sort of what you're saying. You don't have to be mean about it, but it's just sort of, yeah, like um, I know what I need. On top of and that, here Rita, it is. The, the number of people who will tell me privately when they're done recording that when they're in the hospital, they have family members sneak in their insulin and stuff like that. And they take care mm. of themselves and won't even tell the hospital because the hospital wants to run you like a type two on their protocol um, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll test you again in six hours, which is insane. And by the way, too, healing and overall health, uh, is optimized with in range blood sugars. You, you can't exactly you can't heal with a 300 blood sugar. It doesn't work that way. So no. And I, I was fortunate enough that, uh, during one of my hospital visits, the endocrinologist on call was actually my endocrinologist. So he knew mm-hmm. he saw my numbers and they can look at the chart now and he knows. And he said to them, have her put everything back on. She's going to tell you how many carbs she eats. Don't worry about the insulin. She's taking care of it all herself. Yeah. And that was so much better. And even now I've had a few surgeries since, um, you know, uh, you know, subsequently after you know, the story I told you, I've had a number of surgeries and even then into surgery. Now I, uh, most anesthesiologists say, just leave everything on and will. And I just reinforce it. You better be checking my blood sugars during surgery, yeah, which yeah. I know they do, but they just sort of want to see how it works. No, leave everything on. Cause I think for them, it's actually maybe easier. I, I don't know, but um, well, they're we, fine. Hey, Rita, you know, they're would, fine. It would be a damn shame that if uh, vagina cancer and uh, melanomas in different places and, and lymph nodes and everything that that doesn't kill you, but you're going to get taken down by a, by a nurse that I ain't lets, gonna. You, lets you go six yeah. hours. That is not going to happen. Yeah, Rita's no like, I'm way. not going it's out like, like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. That's not the way I'm going to go. Yeah, because I imagine right. your last conscious thought would be, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like in my head, like yeah. you're saying, be nice. And I am nice. But in yeah. my head, I, I always say, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I can do this. It's like, you know, yeah, I know what. Just leave it all in place and it's good. And just go look at my, you know, go look at my charts and you'll see where my blood sugars are at. And, um, but yeah, I spoke to a nurse recently who had such a good, I thought way about this. She said with people with diabetes, we see people who are completely just mismanaged. They don't know what they're doing. And then it's hard Mm -hmm. to believe anybody knows what they're doing, but the -hmm. way we handle it is we start off by saying, all right, it's on you, but if you drop the ball, then we're going to take over. And I think that's a, I think that's a reasonable way to do it. Yeah, you know? I think it is. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah. And they, they don't know us, right? I mean, they see so many patients and, right. uh, you know, I know myself, but they don't know me and, and that's understandable. And so, but I, I like, that, that approach of let's look at, you can deal with it. Let's, let's watch what you do for the, you know, like a little bit, but if it doesn't work, you know, we're taken over and then that's fair. Cause not everybody manages their diabetes. Um, well, I guess, you know, yeah, or, so or safely yeah. for, for the situation or safely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rita, yeah. this was terrific. Please thank your husband for finding the podcast for me. And I appreciate very much that you came on and share this story. It's, it's absolutely insane. It really is. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I'll, Thanks um, for having me, of Scott. Of course, that no, was a pleasure. It was fun. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G V O K E G L U C 
A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juicebox. I'd also like to thank Rita for sharing her story. And of course, the Contour Next One blood glucose meter for sponsoring this episode. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Get a great meter. Get the Contour Next One. If you're looking for a way to give back to the Juicebox podcast, look no farther than telling someone else about it. Helping the podcast to grow in listenership is helping the podcast. Show people where to listen in an app, online. Tell them what it's done for you. Tell them what you've learned from it, what you love about it. Just share it. That's all I am asking. That's it. It's a, it's a short ask. That's it. Share the show. I mean, listen, if you love it and you're like crazy love it, then go uh, to the app you listen in and leave a beautiful rating and a review, like five stars and, and a, a comp, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A complete description of why you like the podcast. That also helps the show just the same. Well, it's not, eh, sharing it's better. If I'm being honest, if you can only do one thing, share the show with somebody else. That's the biggest deal. Also, don't miss the uh, private Facebook group. It's terrific. Juice Box Podcast Type 1 Diabetes, absolutely free. 30,000 people in it. Head over there now, people just like you, using insulin, looking for help, looking for support, or giving it. Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.